I remember distinctly the moment where I fell in love with the Jewish wisdom tradition as an adult. I'm in my early 20s. I'm sitting with friends around my rabbi's table in his office. We're studying a section from the Talmud, and the discussion is about when it's appropriate to interrupt intense study. When is it appropriate? And the question is raised, what if somebody sneezes in the Beit Midrash in the house of study? Can you interrupt by shouting marpeh? You all know what marpeh means, obviously, right? Marpeh is the Aramaic word that translates to livriut, salud, or my favorite, gesundheit. <laughs> it means health. Marpeh means health. And this moment for me was connective in the deepest way imaginable, not because I actually cared about the nitty gritty of when I could interrupt my study, but because my ancestors over 1,500 years ago were saying Gesundheit or its equivalent. And to me, this was an aha moment. This was my Gesundheit moment. This was the moment that for me said, my tradition has something meaningful to offer beyond the nitty gritty legalese. There's a connective tissue here. There's something that has me feel rooted and connected to my ancestors in a deep, profound way. And that moment specifically is what put me on my path to continued Jewish learning and community involvement. Now, we know from the Pew study a handful of years ago that a full 94% of North American Jewish adults say that they are proud to be Jewish. But of those folks, how many have had their adult Gesundheit moment? How many of them post bar or bat mitzvah, if they had one at all, have actually had the opportunity to dive deeply into our wisdom tradition to see all that it can offer in terms of how to live a full, flourishing, self-actualized life, walking through the world with a sense of purpose, community, and meaning? And my guess is, not enough of them. Not enough. And my goal is trying to figure out, how do we help these folks have their Gesundheit moments? What's preventing them from self-selecting? Whether it's lack of time, money, interest, perceived resources, what is it that's keeping them from stepping over the threshold, so to speak, into diving into our tradition? And I think that aside from those things I just listed, there's one in particular that often doesn't get enough airtime, and I call it the calculus question. Now, the calculus question is the question that I asked every single day of calculus my senior year of high school, which was, when am I ever going to use this? And how in any way, shape, or form is this relevant to my life? Because too infrequently do we actually bring relevance into the conversation. So how are we going to make our wisdom tradition relevant? How are we going to help folks self-select to want to dive into it and to see all that it has to offer? My solution is the Beit Midrash the house of study. Part study hall, part cafeteria, part coffee shop, uh, part library. Imagine a big room with long tables, chairs across from each other, lots of noise, people arguing back and forth, the nitty-gritty pieces of our tradition. I love the Beit Midrash. But you might also think I'm crazy for suggesting it, because the Beit Midrash has existed for hundreds, if not thousand-plus years, and people aren't necessarily self-selecting to walk into it. So what I'm going to propose is a remixed Beit Midrash. And in the remix Beit Midrash, the first thing that I'm most interested in is relevance. How do we have it scream relevance to people? So for Alia, a 26-year-old young woman, it was a remix Beit Midrash focusing on the Syrian refugee crisis of today that brought her in the door. She had the opportunity to hear from Syrian Muslim refugees themselves, to engage in text study with friends. And as a young woman with a Jewish mother and a Muslim father, 
She recounts that it was one of the first places that she felt wholly seen in the Jewish community. Gesundheit. Oh, yeah. So, relevance. I mentioned the Syrian refugee crisis. Is that an inherently Jewish topic? Does it matter? Does it matter what topics are studied in this remixed Beit Midrash? Well, the rabbis of antiquity would actually argue that it's essential that what we are studying are traditional core Jewish texts and anything else is superfluous. And yet there's another Talmudic story that's a personal favorite that I think can shed some light on this for us. So there's a young, let's say, rambunctious student <laughs> who decides that he's going to sneak into his master teacher rabbi's bedroom, sneak under the rabbi's bed, and hang out there for a while. <laughs> Later that evening, Master Rabbi comes in with his wife. They start doing grown-up things on the bed. <laughs> and the student hears this and is like, oh my. The rabbi hears the student and is like, is that you down there? And he's like, yeah, it's me. And this too is Torah. <laughs> and I need to learn. Maybe for some of you, that was a Gesundheit moment. I don't know. But as you talk about, but like, this too is Torah needs to be the mantra for the remixed Beit Midrash. Any topic is welcome here, even if you wouldn't immediately perceive it as being an inherently Jewish one. So for Carly, a 28-year-old community organizer focusing on regional transit issues, which mind you in the shadow of the big three in the Motor City is not the easiest field to be in, it was a gathering focusing on what the Jewish tradition has to say about equity and justice as it relates to public transportation that had her walk through the door. And she, for the first time, saw the holy work that she was doing day to day be framed not only in a humanistic way, but having oomph added to it from the Jewish wisdom tradition. Gesundheit Carly. That was her moment, and she's been involved ever since. Historically in the Beit Midrash, since we were focusing explicitly on Jewish texts, you would imagine that the rabbis who were going to give the shiur, the lecture, at kind of the outset of the gathering, would be the subject matter experts. But now that we're bringing in the full range of kind of human wisdom and experience, it, I'm a rabbi, but still, rabbis aren't going to be the experts on all of these things, right? So for Jacob, a 33-year-old, it was the opportunity to come and hear a federal judge who had written one of the district court opinions that was ultimately looped into the Supreme Court's gay marriage decision that brought him across the threshold. And he relays that this was the first time that he felt he could bring both his gay self and his Jewish self entirely together into a space to come and learn about this issue and see what the Jewish wisdom tradition had to say about it. Gesundheit. Now, you may have thought that just because we have these secular expert subject matter speakers coming in in order to speak on these topics, that the texts that we look at when we break out into these conversations, that the texts we examine should be exclusively texts from the Jewish tradition. But you would be wrong. These texts should include philosophy and contemporary literature and academic articles and newspaper articles and other wisdom tradition pieces framing particularistic Jewish wisdom as part of broader universal wisdom. So for Haley, a 27-year-old, 
It was a gathering close to Passover, focusing on the plague of mass incarceration, where she comes and has a text packet and has the opportunity to see on one page Maimonides, the medieval Jewish rabbi and philosopher, and on the other, Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow, and to see how those two meld together beautifully that she literally shouts out from the back of the remix Beit Midrash, fuck yeah, Torah! <laughs> May I say, Gesundheit, Haley, right? Like this is, <laughs> talk about a rabbi's dream, maybe with not exact language, right? But like, I want as many people running through the streets. If that's the epitome of that moment for people, that transformational, I'm living in this world, I'm walking in it. Talk about calculus and all of those other pieces combined, all of a sudden, my tradition has something to say and it's in conversation with the things and the people that I'm already in conversation with. Framing the particular as part of the universal does not dilute our Jewish tradition in any way. It helps it root deeply within people. Finally, one of the things that you might see in a traditional Beit Midrash is partner learning, what we call chavruta, based on the root chaver, friend. You sit across from somebody, you kind of go at it, you argue, it's holy, it's a special relationship. This is working for a lot of people. Um, and for those it works for, we should absolutely embrace it and continue to let it work. However, for some others, particularly those who don't have significant backgrounds in this kind of space, being in a pair with somebody else can be incredibly intimidating. Whether you feel like you don't have anything to add to the conversation, whether you feel like the person you're sitting across from just doesn't get you or is awkward or is mansplaining or whatever the situation <laughs> might be, right? That there's this, there's this inherent discomfort for some people to have to be in that space. So in the remixed Beit Midrash, my suggestion is we create space for small groups of three to five, four to six people. The opportunity for folks to lean in or out as needed in these moments in order to connect, to have their voices heard, to be able to listen, to not let a single voice dominate because you've got teammates who can be like, our turn, right? <laughs> Amazing. So, I had a Gesundheit moment. And I know that Haley and Jacob and Carly and Alia have had theirs. But how many of those 94% who are proud can punctuate their pride with such a moment? How many of you all have had such a moment? Let's together make sure that we focus on getting as many people as we can to Gesundheit. Thanks. <laughs>